did you wink? It's If You're Listening, One Person's Mission to force your friend to listen to all the music he avoided in high school. I'm Ramsey. I'm Heather. Hi, Ramsey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, it's a beautiful day in New York right now. I think I haven't gone outside. It looks beautiful. Um, I want our listeners to know that Heather is drinking the grossest drink that has ever existed in history. <laughs> it really looks pretty barfy. I don't know. It's It tastes good. It's, mm. You said it was chopped up celery, uh, turpentine. I don't... It's what it looks like. It's coconut matcha. <laughs> it should not be green. I'm so confused by this. Matcha's green. I don't know what matcha is. <laughs> okay, there, that, now we've got, we've got to the heart of the issue here. <laughs> Ramsey, uh, yes. why don't you introduce our guest? <laughs> I would love to. Today we have comedian and actor. Uh, from, I said that in the singular for some reason. A comedian and an actor. You know him from The Marvelous Miss Maisel from Search Party. Uh, he has one of the my favorite podcasts that exist right now, Dead Eyes. And he's also one of the hosts of the George Lucas talk show, which you can hear and watch every Sunday on Planet Scum at 8. It's Connor Ratliff. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I'm a little scared. I don't know what we're doing today. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. This is the first time a guest has ever sent us MP3s. So that is a new one for for the podcast. Um, so I'm a little, I don't know what to expect today. <laughs> and now is, it's, is because people normally send you a streaming link? Yeah, usually it's just something that's easy on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, I probably, I didn't even look to see because I I knew this title was out of print. Yeah, and and I'm sh- there might be a playlist, but I didn't trust that as much, and so sure. I looked and, and saw that I had um, I had this in my Dropbox from. <laughs> I feel like I feel like in the streaming era, I'm constantly dragging around the corpses of <laughs> multiple dead formats, and on my Dropbox, it's just like a, an MP3 graveyard. I have like a pile of old iPods that I can't bear to get rid of, even though I love some an old of them iPod. Work- some of them work, some of them don't. But even the ones that don't, I'm like, I can't put this in the trash. It's It it meant too much to me at the time. Yeah. I need people to put it in the trash after I'm gone. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, but, but yeah, so there might be like a playlist somewhere of this, but this was the thing that I actually owned on cassette. Okay. And so... Uh, and then I think I owned it on CD. I just noticed that I could get a copy on vinyl, and part of me is like, maybe I'm gonna buy it on vinyl. <laughs> wow! But I, but I did. But I, I have a YouTube like private upload playlist of this. Okay. I realized, and then I was like, I wonder if I have the MP3s. It's just like all of these things. Like I, I haven't listened to these MP3s since I put them in my Dropbox. That this is the first time that it's it's been uh, uh, of use that I saved them. You know. <laughs> I recently bought a book scanner camera thing, and mm-hmm. I've been going through like magazines that I had saved of, and like these uh, scholarly journals related to Sherlock Holmes, uh, and like scanning them, and then finally, okay, I can recycle these now. I have a copy of them, but mm-hmm. I'm never going to reference this article about the Hound of Baskervilles. I don't know. Yeah, it's. It's a very tricky thing. I was uh, in in 2020. I spent uh, uh, most of the year at my parents' house, and one of my projects was sort of going through their things and helping them sort of declutter. And I wasn't like strict about it, but I was like trying to go through a system of 
if you have a book that you haven't even looked at in 20 yeah. some years, what are the odds that, and my standard was, if it's really sentimental, keep it. Sure. But otherwise, trying to get them to really ask the question, what are the odds that in the next 20 years you're going to look at this book? And and when I try to do that myself, like I have a bunch, I have a DVD collection. I have shelves filled with DVDs. I have CD, I still, I have all my old CDs still. And some of them I, some of them I have not, uh, literally have not done anything with yeah. since before 9-11. <laughs> and... And it makes me think, well, the question I need to ask is, <laughs> would it be better for me to get rid of it now, or do I, do I want to hold on to these until 2040 or beyond and <laughs> right. not use them again? Um, but I, I guess my I, I'm I'm not a hoarder, but I'm close in the <laughs> sense that, like, I get it. And, and I also just, like, there's a part of me that thinks that if I get rid of these things, I'm admitting mortality in some way. Mm-hmm. That I just... Keeping them as a way of admitting that you still have enough time left that you're going to use them. Yeah, right, right. It's, it's your backup. Um, yeah, and so, like, these MP3s, I'm so glad to have a use for them because then it justifies me keeping everything else. Because I'm like, well, what if there's a reason <laughs> out of nowhere for me to access my MP3s of, should I say it, the premier yeah. movie music collection from 1989? Is, okay. Are we going to be listening to a cassette tape rip of this no, unfortunately, okay. no. I do. Here's the thing. If I thought about this, I believe the cassette is in my closet in Missouri. Oh, my God. I believe I still have it. And I have a machine here that could uh, rip those uh, tunes right from it. But these are from, I think, the CD copy I had. Okay. So one format to go. Just that vinyl record yeah. left. Just get that vinyl. Yeah. I need an explanation on what premiere movie music collection is. Yes, yes. It's, it is a uh, compilation that was put out by Premiere Magazine, uh, which okay. at that point was a relatively new uh, print format movie magazine. Um, I remember I had the 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 cover like the the first issue of this magazine was kind of big the way like Rolling Stone used to be it was like one of those large format yes. magazines um and it came out and the first issue uh was about the movie Dragnet and it had oh, wow. Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd on the cover of it and I remember I bought that first issue and I for some reason I read that issue a lot like I would get other issues but I always return that first issue felt like I'm I'm like one of the original fans of this magazine and so at one point, I think there was probably an ad in Premiere Magazine for like, we're putting out a collection of themes from movies. Got it. And and here's a, when when I when you asked me to do this podcast, uh, I was trying to think there, there was a shift when I was in high school for me musically, which was I did not pay attention to the popular music of the the day I would like when I'd go to like a school dance or something, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I know these songs, but like everyone else was more into new music than I was up. I would say the first three years of high school, I was mostly listening to, uh, scores for movies. Um, a handful maybe of, of like Sondheim soundtracks. Okay. So you and Ramsey are the, <laughs> the same, the same person. If you say Abba um, next, I'm, le- I'm just going to leave the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I listened to They Might Be Giants. Okay, um, that was the only other one you could have said. Yeah, yeah. And 
And then something shifted in my in my senior year. Uh, my best friend Jeff Falzone loaned me a copy of the Juliet Letters by Elvis Costello. Yeah, and that sort of opened up every other form of music because I got seriously into Costello, and that led to he he would you know often just enthuse or publish lists or you know things of every other genre of music. So then I started getting into every other kind of music. But I kind of felt like that would be less interesting for this than getting – this is like an example of something – I would bet easy money that uh, – you know, I was in a high school of over a, a thousand students and that n- nobody else in my town had a copy of this uh, on, on cassette or CD. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't know anybody else who ever owned this anywhere. And I'm, so, I'm sure somebody did, but um, – I think this is a pretty good example of a kind of thing that I would have listened to before I got into music. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm very curious, Ramsey, what your um your familiarity is with this type of thing. Cause I feel like you what Connor just described is very similar to what I know your musical path to have been also. <laughs> I don't want to pull it down, but in front of me I can see uh a signed copy of flood by they might be giants and a letter from steven sondheim so like yeah this is you've you've described my musical experience pretty much um i definitely had a lot of like cd compilations Mm -hmm. of like just ran i feel like for whatever reason when the walmart came to town uh in my my tiny little suburban space um the CD the putting collection the, putting the the in front of Walmart makes it sound so anthropomorphic, like a, yeah. <laughs> just settle in town. In my head, that was the title of like a like a, a socialist book about like why capitalism is bad for children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, in their CD section, they had a ton of compilations, various artists, seed things, because I didn't care about popular music and didn't really know any bands that. I loved or anything, I would gravitate towards those as like, well, here's just a wide collection of things. And so I definitely did have a couple. um, The big one I remember was a Saturday morning cartoons, greatest hits where it was a bunch Mm of, what? uh, (laughs) it was a bunch of artists doing covers of classic cartoon. That's kind of fun actually. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be like, like 30 second intros to cartoons, like for the whole album, which Actually, that makes sense for you, too. I don't know. (laughs) I definitely had a TV themes one that is what you are thinking of. It's the one that has, like, the the blue and black sort of static image on the front of it. Yeah. That's the one. I do also feel like in, like... uh, when you were buying digital media, getting a compilation felt like a real good, like, bang for your buck. Because you're, like, you know, especially, like... I feel like the ones I was getting as kids were like the Jock Jams one and like the early Now That's whatever ones. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like those were like, I do know all these songs instead of like really risking it, risking it and like getting a CD where I know one song. And then you're like, do I like any of the rest of these? Unclear. Yeah. <laughs> there was also, I think for me, and I think my associations, because I think when I started driving, um, I would drive around with this cassette playing a lot. And it always kind of like I, uh, other cassettes. I I know that I owned that I drove around with. I had like the the score to the Tom Cruise movie, The Firm. Hmm. Um, and there was just something about like you drive around and it felt like it was scoring your life. Like you were driving around town and it felt like you were in a movie. 
And a lot of the... Here, and what's interesting to me about my affection for this particular compilation is, as we go through, we'll keep track of, I think I had seen maybe only one of these movies at the time that oh, I wow. bought it. And I'm pretty sure that um, that the score is not that much higher even now. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few of these. And, but I have these associations. Like, it would be weird for me to watch some of these movies now because... Things that are supposed to be like invite you into the world of the movie would be things. Well, I've been living with this. They're they're not right. like very familiar themes, right? Um, I'm not even sure. I don't remember there being liner notes. There might have been to this collection explaining their choices. Oh, but I, because I hadn't seen because I I couldn't find any any indication of that online that there were, and. Uh, but there might have been, but I know I didn't spend a lot of time pouring over them because I kind of felt like, well, I don't, I haven't seen these movies, right. and this was at a, t- and this was at a time when it would have been, it would have required some effort, I think, for me to, uh, track down and rent all of these movies because I know that some of them I wouldn't have even been able to find necessarily in the small town video rental places, you know. Oh right. As a cynical adult, I would just assume like. The subtitle for this could be like the ones we could afford to license, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think what I what appealed to me about it was that like it felt sophisticated to me to get these themes that it wasn't it wasn't like here's the theme to Raiders of the Lost Ark or here's the theme you know it wasn't like um, themes that everybody could whistle right. and so it was me sort of appreciating them as like. I could almost imagine like, oh, I guess this movie is kind of like this because it feels like um, this one feels serious or this one feels like it's slightly whimsical or something, you know. Was Premiere Magazine like Entertainment Weekly, but it's just movies or was it more... just movies? Is it? Yeah. Was it like for movie fans or was it for the industry or somewhere in between? It was more it was closer in tone to Entertainment Weekly. It wasn't a trade, but it would be a little bit more. I think it would be. A little bit more um, assuming that you're a big movie buff than okay. just a casual subscriber to Entertainment Weekly. But it wasn't like Sight and Sound or something. It wasn't a snobby magazine. Um, the but it would have it would have features that would be like here's a you know a graph of these things that we've counted. It would have things that were like fun. Um, I'm trying to remember any specific features that were in any issues of it. But I just remember the time it felt like. To, to subscribe to this magazine was like, uh, it was sort of a way, a way of marking, like, I'm serious about movies. I like them a lot. I like them so much. I buy this very large magazine, you know, about them. A large magazine is like a very visceral memory of just like so unwieldy to even like deal <laughs> with them to look at the magazine itself. Yeah, it was like this, this thing is imp- so important that the magazine has to be physically big. Yeah, it's um, bursting out of an eight and a half by eleven size. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm trying to look and see if there's any if I can think of any specific like whimsical features that they had, <laughs> but um Yeah, I did scroll through some covers and like it, it's it's vaguely familiar to me, but I don't think it's one that I would have ever necessarily dove into. But granted, I was more of a like a music nerd kid than a movie nerd kid in um high school. So that makes sense. Yeah, like like the I think one of the things that's interesting about it is part of the logo at least when it initially came out was it was the subtitle was the movie magazine. 
So it was like they were making. A, I always think that's a very specific choice to be like, it's, we're not a film magazine. Yeah, we're a movie because movie is the most childish of the popular descriptions of like <laughs> cinema is obviously the one where. But I remember it amusing a, a, a friend of mine once when we realized that it's they're called movies because they're so, they're so movie they, they move <laughs> that it's like a baby word we don't even realize how right like it's movie a movie because it's, uh, really, it's a motion picture a it's like movie. a picture but it's uh it's more movie it's very movie yeah sounds like everything moves I would around <laughs> yeah it's like if you refer to, to like music as soundies <laughs> you know like yeah. it's a silly word and but it also is a charming word in that like um, cinema feels very important, but not like much fun. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like if someone says, "Let's go to the cinema," it doesn't feel as as uh, alive as saying, "Like let's go to the movies." Yeah, um, it feels a little. It feels um a little more pretentious, certainly nowadays. I would say, and and it's also it's remained accurate because you. Uh, if you say, well, I'm a film buff, I love to go see feature films, like, well, which ones are being shot on celluloid right. these days? Like, it's not <laughs> it's not film anymore. We're going to movies. They're shot digitally. Yeah, Fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be fair, somebody who describes himself as a film buff probably isn't watching anything shot on digital anymore. No. No, the word, yeah, the word buff. The word buff is also a leavener in terms of... <laughs> in terms of yeah. yeah, it's yeah. fair. Um, Ramsey, would you... Kick us off to your signature catchphrase. I think you've been teeing this up more up and more so lately. I teed that up so terribly. I really, yeah, I, I, it's gotten worse. All right, here we go. My big catchphrase. <laughs> Show me that album art, TM, registered. Here you go. What a catchphrase. Here is the, el- this is the first time we've looked at album art on a uh, cassette also, certainly. Yeah. That is true. Uh... Yeah, so we've got a very like um, art decoy image in the center of a nude person, uh, sure. surrounded by film, holding what I think is a film reel, but is kind of looks like a bowling ball with an extra hole. It looks like it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a it looks like it's a bowling ball, but the thumb is so big that it makes it look like a paw print. Yeah, right? it looks like a bowling ball for a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I think I always assumed that the naked person was an Oscar. Oh, oh that makes sense. That the, does. the the bright colors. I don't. It just. I feel like something about this is saying Olympics to me. Don't know why, but hmm. I'm just getting a real Olympics vibe from this logo. There's a lot, and there's that thing. There's the movie. There's the the globe with the word movie in front of it. I was just going to ask, is that like a seal? Like certifying this is movie related? Or that is so weird. (laughs) I think that's just in the the same way that we just heard your catchphrase. I think that was a premier sort of branding. It's like, we're the movie people. Um, Yeah. I also just think that it's movie singular. Just movie. It's just movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Filmed in movie. Yeah, and it's very not to uh, not to belittle the efforts of the person who did the art because there's nothing wrong with the art. No, it's, I, it's actually I like fine. Actually. I, I, yeah, but it is also the kind of art that I'm probably looking at it more intently than I ever did when I owned it. Absolutely, because like, right now I'm also looking at it. I'm seeing it through your eyes as people who've never like. To me, I'd see this. I'm like, yes, I have that. I love that cassette. 
Right. Yeah. But then I, I've never noticed like the paw print bowling ball effect. I've never noticed that it just says movie where it normally would say the movie magazine. It just says movie and that it, it very much is like branding it. Like it, you imagine they turn in that, that art and then immediately just went, all right, well now it's official. Yeah. Like, yep. Put our thing on it. But it is, it does look also like that kind of, um, uh, not clip art, but, um, like those uh, spot illustrations that you'll find in like a magazine where it's like, yeah. well, we need a yeah. big illustration to go with this instead of a photograph. And it'll be kind of like in this style. Yeah. I, 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 I don't mind it at all. And it's also with a compilation, like it has, it has the movies at the bottom, you know, so you, you know what you're getting. So it's, it's doing its job here. Certainly. It also in a weird way reminds me of, I feel like I've been on a lot of movie theaters where the decor in the yes. movie theater. That's is a great call. This sort of style where it's like, you'll just have a big mural that feels like this mm-hmm. and it both matters and absolutely doesn't like, or, <laughs> yeah. or like the carpet in movie theaters yeah. sometimes yeah. will be like this where you'll be like, who even cares? But you'll, you'll kind of like, you'll walk past it for years and not notice. And then one day you'll notice like, Oh, there's weird, like film reel stuff on the carpet here. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Especially like I, I feel like like the 80s and 90s movie theaters, like especially like small town ones, you're like, what is this decor? And you never yeah. notice it because it's the part of the theater you're in for five seconds. <laughs> like, yeah. And then you'll, fi- you'll find yourself like waiting in line for a big event and you'll be staring at it for more often. I think that happened to me like at Kipps Bay in, in New York, the, 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 the movie theater there that has this big lobby with this uh, mural all around like and it's uh, – it's one of those things where you you start look, staring at it and then kind of asking questions about like, well, why did they choose those particular <laughs> actors? You know, you'll start thinking like, oh, they like they put this person, but they'll have like they kept Clark Gable, but then they then they have like sister act or something. You're like, oh, a real <laughs> discussion was had of like yeah. which yeah. which one of these like we we can have twelve actors from to represent all of movies. And then you'll see one, you'll be like, oh, it's weird that that guy made it in, or, you know. <laughs> it's also interesting to, like, the theaters, like the King's Theater in Brooklyn, where it's, like, this beautiful, ornate theater that used to be a movie theater. But it's, like, this is something you sit in the dark and do. Like, you can't even, like, you know, look at how beautiful these theaters were or are. And so it's, like, a very odd choice to me. But they were, I mean, granted, I think there's also a difference there of, like, going to the movies when those theaters were built was more of an event. Whereas now I can just turn on my TV and watch yeah. anything. Basically. So I do feel like there's that. Di- yeah. I can watch all the sister acts, whichever <laughs> one I want. Um, so there is that distinction, I think, which yeah. is interesting. Now this, this compilation we are about to listen to um, nowadays, this would just be a playlist that, that somebody put on, Spotify. Yeah. This would just be somebody's like the modern version of this is sort of like a do-it-yourself thing, but this this was curated by some people affiliated with Premier Magazine, and very likely, as you said, Ramsey, very likely there were major issues about like, well, we don't have the Raiders March, so let's lean into it. You know, I think I almost yeah, imagine right. there there this was either like deliberate snobbery on some one's part, like let's do a sophisticated, no Spielberg, no John Williams, you know, none of these things. I can imagine it either way, or even a little bit of both. Like we can't do that. It's like, well, why don't we do one where we we have music from the Killing Fields? Instead, I'm like excellent. Yes, let's show them <laughs> yeah. who we are. That's interesting. Well, shall we get into it? Yeah. Now, have it. either of you heard any of any of this before? No. Nope. Looking at the track list, I don't do not think so. Great. But we great. 
We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> Based right. on the cover, there's even some films I've never heard of. So this will be I would agree. Great. <laughs> All right. Let's kick this off. Okay. So this is on Earth. It is in heaven. On Earth in- as it is oh, on heaven. Well, here, on I Earth actually think this... Is- Okay, I can't looking, read. Looking at Discogs, it actually says on Earth as it is on Heaven. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's supposed to be in Heaven. The track I have says in. The grid, yeah. it was from your MP3 library, so who's... <laughs> could it be, yeah, it could be me correcting it in the, in the metadata. As somebody who's raised Catholic, I'm going to say probably. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's from the movie The Mission, okay. which, I hadn't, which I had not seen at the I time. I don't even know what that is. It is... Uh, Robert De Niro and I believe Jeremy Irons. Let me see if I'm remembering yeah. that correctly. Um, and they play yeah, missionaries. You are, you are correct. Um, they are uh, 18th century Spanish Jesuits <laughs> who are trying to protect a remote South American tribe in danger of falling under the rule of pro-slavery Portugal. Great. Just imagining a world where De Niro and Irons are supposed to be from the same place is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And they're both bearded in it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I it, the all the photos that came up while I was Googling are them near water. Yeah. They're like all by waterfalls. Yeah. Uh do we know who composed this? Uh boy, great question. Um I don't know offhand. I don't know the names of Okay. God, why'd you have to ask me on this one? Sorry. And E-N-N-I-O. How do you think you pronounce that? Oh. N-E-O. N-E-O Morricone. N-E-O. Oh, N-E-O wow. Morricone. Yeah. yeah. Someone I actually know. But, um, yeah, who just recently passed away. Yeah. Uh, and he did music He uh, he did music for Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. That was one of his oh. more recent. Wow. I and, believe uh, he won the Oscar for that. All the spaghetti westerns, the classic Good, Bad, and the Ugly, you know, I'm sure, Heather. Yeah. A legend. A oh, legend. Oh, okay. Um, and he, yeah, he has... Uh, he has won one Oscar, but I believe he's been nominated a bunch of times. Um, Interesting. Including for this. So this is a very premier choice, then, it sounds. Like, we're going to get yeah. th- this guy uh, and, the- and not the one that you're thinking. And this felt very important to drive around to. I could, yeah, this like, definitely would set a tone for the car ride. Yeah, if I'm driving down Missouri Boulevard and I'm like going through the drive-thru to get something to eat <laughs> it suddenly feels like I'm doing something very significant very important set to this music something familiar I'll say true yeah. there's a there's a a TikTok genre where it's like about being the main character which I feel like is your entire vibe for this <laughs> this set yeah. of this yeah. album these, all of these tracks all of these tracks are great for TikToks I think <laughs> I, I highly recommend if you're looking for TikTok material <laughs> Look no further. Premier Magazine, if you want to reissue this, uh, please put yeah. the quote, great for TikToks, on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just do that on anything at this sure. point. Okay, so this is David Byrne. Um, I don't know that this is... I'm not sure if this is David Byrne, because I think there were multiple people composing music for this We can't trust my movie. labeling over here. <laughs> I, I, it might be, it might be, but I'm genuinely. This is from the Last Emperor. Oh. Um. And there are multiple people listed on IMDb for um, music, original music by. There's David Byrne, and there's also uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto, 
and some and someone listed named Kong Su. Um, but it could be that this is David Byrne. I'm just going off the file name, but I, that makes sense that it wouldn't have everything anyways. Yeah. Okay. Also, I have solved a mystery. Mm -hmm. All of these soundtracks that are on this were on Virgin Records. Hey. Well done. I had an inkling because we've done other like things like this where like we did a video game soundtrack and it was almost all one label and like that's what now that uh, now that's what I call music is all things that are on one label and I feel like that's usually what it is. So yeah, and, yeah. and uh, looking into the soundtrack for the Last Emperor, it appears this main title theme uh, is David Byrne. Oh, great! There we go. So my label on my MP3 and your sighting of it were both completely accurate. And it was released on Virgin Records. <laughs> yes, great, great. This is a movie that I feel like I should have seen, but have not seen. Yes, yes. I, that's exactly, it goes exactly in that category. I always thought when I was driving around to this, I haven't seen this yet, but I will. It's a Bertolucci <laughs> movie. Haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I've seen and, the Simpsons episode that parodies it, so I've got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Now I, you know, I start to ask the question: What are the odds I really do see it at this point? You know? Yeah. Um, but I can tell you the feeling I had driving around to this one. This felt like a great chaser for the the mission was very um, kind of big and huge things are happening, and this felt more like still sophisticated, but I'm more casual. Like I'm just driving around my little town in Missouri, <laughs> and I feel worldly because I'm confident no one else has this theme playing anywhere it's playful this one's more playful yeah i am i am curious you know at the the age that you were listening to this what other pop culture were you consuming like you know like what else were you into like music television whatever um at this point like you know funny movies serious movies funny tv shows i was probably mm -hmm. watching a lot of um syndicated TV shows from the 80s that you can now watch every day of the week. So I was watching like Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, 30-something. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching uh, Early Simpsons. I was uh, trying to, I was trying to watch like old Scorsese movies, David Lynch, Twin Peaks, you know. Um, the uh, Coen Brothers, Spike Lee, just like any, yeah. any, just like good stuff. I was just trying to watch quality stuff yep um, i mean that that i feel like though that does tie in with this just because like this is like you know it, you weren't necessarily into like the garbage ver like garbage pop culture which i say i say with love because i love garbage <laughs> pop culture you it seems like you were into a little more like of the elevated movies and stuff at, at that time yeah this is a movie i haven't seen this is but this is the guy who did some of the other music for The Last Emperor, who I just mentioned, mm. uh, Ryuchi, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto. And Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence is a movie that I have, I almost watched it a few months ago. It's hmm. It stars David Bowie. Oh. Um, and it's, he's, uh, it's set in like a prisoner of war camp. Um, but I always liked the mood of this one as well. Like all of these just like put me in a mood that was interesting. This, um, this one is, yeah. this one does sound very distinctly eighties uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
not a not in a positive or negative at all. It just yeah. sounds eighties. <laughs> it has yeah. It has all the it has all the sounds yeah. of of uh, uh, what was like a new or modern sound yeah. back then because yeah. we were making it with a different kind of machine. Do you think um, this reflects Bowie's involvement in the project? Like this almost feels like the the last or last emperor mixed with David Bowie. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't, like, oh, David Bowie's in the movie that that might put a composer in a mindset of, like, oh, yeah. interesting, you know? Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, but it really, like, there are other records, like, I listened to They Might Be Giants because I thought they were catchy and funny. Mm-hmm. But this music was stuff that made me feel like I was, like, I it did make me feel like, oh, these are from movies I have yet to see that I'm going to see. And most of yeah. which I never did go on to see. Right. <laughs> which is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think part of it, part of me thinks of them as like, what's part of what I like about them is that like, I'm going to see these someday. Yeah. And that's still true. When I listen to this now, I'm like, someday I would like to see Merry Christmas, Sister Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not in any hurry, you know? Right. I should really hurry up. <laughs> it would be really um, nice to know when we're going to die. So you could like maybe parcel them out and do like one a year. Oh yeah. When I tell you that I've finally finished the collection, you can be like, Oh boy. Uh Oh, <laughs> Uh-oh. no time left now. Did yeah. you see the mission? I don't remember if you, I did it. see the mission and I barely remember it. I remember thinking this is, um, perfectly fine, mm-hmm. but well, I no. wasn't that, I wasn't that into it. You know, like it wasn't something that I was like super, um, I'm trying to think, who was it who directed that? That was a Roland Joffe joint, who okay. also directed another movie on the soundtrack, The Killing Fields. Oh, I have heard of that one. That's interesting that, that we're finding, I know it's we've cracked the mystery, but so far th- we have someone who's directed two different films on the thing, yeah. the same director, and the composer of the third track also did music for the movie that was the second track. This may have to do with just the way that professional circles mix. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I work for this company and they have a good relationship right. with this company and that's how it works. I mean, and it, it certainly is like still how it works now to a degree, but I also feel like the worlds were even smaller in 1989, you know, like. Yeah. So it, you know, without, I mean, I don't remember if there was internet then, but not re- not now what we have now. <laughs> right. There wasn't. Yeah, the military had it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Now it's um, a slightly different thing where, like, you have Mondo and Nunsuch, these other labels that are like licensing all this stuff because you're not doing anything with it. Disney, let me put out the Mandalorian yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I believe this is Black Rain. Yep. This is Hans Zimmer. Uh, uh. Many people will be familiar with him from the various Christopher Nolan movies uh, over the years. Yeah. The in- the inventor of. <laughs> <laughs> That's his. What his gravestone will say is just John. <laughs> this this was a Ridley Scott movie with Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia that I have not seen. Um, two NYC cops arrest a Yakuza member and must escort him when he's extradited to Japan. So it's about the Yakuza. Funny story. It's about cops in New York being really stressed about the Yakuza. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, they have to take him back uh, because he's wanted in Japan. So they're extraditing him back. Okay. Uh, Funny story. I shot a short film a few years ago in Japan. And and we were 
we were shooting in this one area and one of the crew members was um, an, an American expatriate, but he'd been living in Japan for decades. And he was our sort of guide around. He was like, I think he was like the sound guy. And um, you don't film with permits in Japan, really. You just like film where you can. And if someone says you have to leave, then you got to leave. And so we're just on the street and we're filming this thing. And the director was very enthusiastic. Um, he was sort of like clearing a path and telling people to get out of the way. And he told this one, there were like a couple of guys hanging out toward the side. And he was like, okay, clear away, clear away. He was like being like trying to get the shot. And the, the sound guy came over and he was like, we got to get out of here. And we're like, what? And he says, those guys are Yakuza. And we have to leave right now. And the director's like, what? No, no, we need another shot. And I turned to him and I was like, we have to leave. I trust this guy. Like this guy was like, he was not an easily intimidated guy, but he was a guy who was like street smart and savvy. And he was like, you yeah. just went up to three people who are connected to the Yakuza and told them to get out of the way. Oh, it was like, and, and we were just like gone instantly because you could see there were like three people who were like, who just told me to do what? Like yeah. some American guy just like came up and was like, okay, okay, get out of the way, get out of the way. Um, yeah, so now I can, now I'm gonna score that memory with the soundtrack to Black Rain. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, have you heard of this movie, Black Rain, either of you? Mm -mm. Isn't that funny how like stuff can be, I don't, it wasn't like a smash hit or anything, but it was a Ridley Scott movie right, with Michael Douglas. That would have been a big deal at the time. And I yeah. only have, it almost feels like a, an implanted memory that this movie exists. Right, the, well, the Mandela effect again. Yeah, right. It's also possible, Ramsey and I are the same age, or it's also possible we were slightly too young for this, that yeah. to have stuck in our brain anyways. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am was... older. I was just looking at Ridley Scott's IMDb to try and see if he's ever been funny in any movie, and uh, I would have seen this title recently. I still don't remember it. Was he funny in any movie? Not that I can figure out. <laughs> I guess Thelma and Louise might be the funniest one. That might be the best. And that there or are some like some jokes in it. Maybe The Martian, but that's kind of the source material rather than oh, something he did. Golden Globe for best comedy. That's right. Golden Globe nominee for best comedy. Um, now we're on to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, this one would always kind of bum me out when it would come on. I love Steven Soderbergh movies, but when this track would come on, it always kind of, like, put me in a bad mood. Do you think well, it's how MIDI electronic it is? It sounds like the one... bad guy's up to something with this track, too. True. I just, in the same way that the other tracks made me feel kind of good about driving around, this one kind of made me feel bad about my life. I thought, like, this yeah. feels a little sour to me, huh. mood-wise. Yeah. I can kind of feel like either the bad guy's doing something or the good guy's just, like, kind of down on his luck and just, like, ugh, frumping around. I don't know why. There. I, don't, I don't know why. <laughs> It also felt like the most, it felt like I was entering like the kind of club that to this day I'd never want to be inside of. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it feels like when you're in a movie where it's like we have to go into the club for this reason and yeah. everyone's partying and it's like those always look like a nightmare to me. Yeah. And who knows what's happening in those back rooms. I really don't like the whoop, okay. whoop, 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 whoop. And you had this on cassette, so you were pretty much stuck with it, right? No, I hit the fast forward. Okay. I have the memory. I have a visceral memory of what it felt like to hit the fast forward and then like <laughs> stop. Oh no, it's still going. Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This part is unpleasant. I never. I get no. I was gonna say my main 
music listening would have been like CDs for the bulk of my youth. But I definitely, like the first time I had a car, it definitely had a tape deck. But I don't think I ever listened to tapes in the car. I think I only had like the the tape adapter thing. Mm -hmm. So all of my... Uh, cassette tape memories are on like a boom box like mm, of literally right. flipping it i'm just thinking about that visceral memory i once gave my sister some very bad advice when she was getting like her first new car mm -hmm. and she was getting a, a volkswagen one of the new volkswagen bugs mm -hmm. and i was like hey don't get it with a cd player get it with a cassette player because you can play cds through a cassette adapter using yeah. a disc man and but if you get a but if you get a cassette player, you can play cassettes and CDs. Yeah. I mean that and is then, logical. That does but hold then, up. But then the cassette player broke after a while, and it was just kind of <laughs> like she was just because it was a physical mechanism that's much more like likely to get old and die mm -hmm. through yeah. overuse than a uh, because it's gears as opposed to lasers, which are more futuristic. Yeah. That's right. Lasers don't break as easily as gears. <laughs> and there was like a period of time where one of my friends had no radio in her car, so we would just drive around with a boombox and her back seat was just full of D batteries. But now I'm like such a snob that I'm like, my car stereo doesn't work well enough with my phone. I think I'm gonna get a new one that has Apple Play, like because it doesn't just connect. <laughs> like what is like, I used to drive around with batteries. Like, and now I'm like, this interface isn't working for my phone. I need to just replace this and spend hundreds of dollars. I I have a, a Samsung uh, Galaxy Note 9 is my phone. And on the rare occasions where I find myself in a car or like in a rental car or something, it never pairs. It never uh. will pair with the rental car. And it always is so frustrating to me. I had a, When I had a, cross a half cross-country uh, drive a few months back, I bought a, um, a tuner so that I knew that I could connect my phone oh my to, a radio, yeah. to a radio station. It was like 10 bucks or something to get like a little thing that you plug into the power, the what I what you used to call the cigarette lighter. <laughs> you plug yeah. it into that thing. <laughs> and then you find a radio station and it would tune to your phone just so I could go three days and listen to whatever I wanted. Right. I, I, I do remember very specifically like, like you're saying with the old iPods, getting the tuner. I had one of those And too, they yeah. like work like, I mean, maybe they work better now, but they worked so shitty then. But yeah. it was still, you were like, but now I don't have to have the cassette adapter, which yeah. is probably broken by the time I had an iPod. <laughs> oh, they were so um, bad, though. We've now reached um, what might have been the beginning of side B uh, okay. uh, on this. Homeboy from the soundtrack Homeboy. Music <laughs> by Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton. Okay. Oh. Um, and this was a movie starring Mickey Rourke and Christopher Walken. What? Uh, what? About uh, a simple self-destructive drifter and tough small-time boxer with a brain injury uh, that could kill him meets and falls for a cute beach carnival owner, Ruby, but also befriends a sleazy, friendly criminal, Wesley, who's planning <laughs> who's planning a big score. Let me just read that description wow. one That's, more time so we can... That was so many things. Yes. Especially because I feel like by the end of it, you're like, who's doing stuff in this movie? Because like, <laughs> a simple... This is just the IMDb description, so it may be a simple self-destructive drifter. Okay, these aren't two people. These are the same person being okay. described with it. That's, that explains a little bit more. Okay. A simple self-destructive drifter and tough small-time boxer with a brain injury that could kill him meets and falls for a cute beach carnival owner, Ruby, but also befriends a sleazy, friendly criminal, Wesley, who's planning a big score. Okay. All right. 
I don't think I'll ever watch Homeboy. No, I think you're okay. And, then, and part of the reason, it has 5.9 out of 10 ratings on IMDb. Part of the reason I don't want to listen to it is because this music doesn't make me want to listen to it. Yeah. I also, I don't, why do I feel like Mickey Rourke has probably played a boxer with a brain injury several times in his career? Like, is that, like, I yes, feel like the, that is the a thing. Wrestler, there's the wrestler. The wrestler. Yep. Oh, because he literally, yep. yes, okay, yes. Yep. Who has brain problems. Yep. <laughs> um, brain. I, he was just too good. Brain had to problems. It. Yeah, brain, <laughs> brain problems. <laughs> brain money, brain problems. Um, <laughs> let me let me look to see. Yeah, he also Mickey works just in a lot of movies. It's not like there must be someone with a boxing yeah. brain injury in here. Like, I think it's definitely the wrestler was what was doing it for me because that that's what I've actually seen. <laughs> yeah, is he the drifter or is he the uh, um, boxer? Do we know? Wait, the boxer and the drifter is the same person, isn't it? Oh man! Uh, <laughs> one, of them, one of them wants the big score, and then there's Ruby. Okay, Johnny Walker, played by oh, we were already, uh, played by Mickey Rourke. Johnny Walker is a drifting cowboy and boxer on the like, path okay. of self destruction. The Scotch? <laughs> yeah. The what? That's how you know he's a tough customer. Because it's named after a liquor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's okay. tough with a very short fuse and has a habit of spitting on people who give him trouble. It's very rude. I hate that. <laughs> Even more unpleasant. That's so yeah. rude. But he's also nice. Very shy and simple-minded, and he seems to be suffering from a brain injury caused by the years of fighting that's getting worse. I don't know that someone who spits on people is allowed to be described as nice. That is... Yeah, I think, to me, that sounds more like how like you describe one of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. It's <laughs> yeah. like, not that they're not nice, it's just this is how they are yeah, now. That's just what they do. <laughs> Uh, now this one, this one is from the soundtrack to the movie Betty Blue, which I have not seen, and it's Sail Event Betty. Yep. Um, have you? Uh, sorry, I, I am keeping score. Did you see Sex Lies and Videotape? I did. I saw it once. Uh, I liked it okay. fine. It's um, weirdly, I, I was in. I was much more into the films that sort of were like I loved King of the Hill, which was I think the movie he made next. I, I really liked that movie. I liked a lot of other early uh, Soderbergh more than I liked Sex, Lies, and Videotape. But I also might have seen it slightly too young. Hmm. Fair. Because I remember being, like, creeped out by it, and I don't know whether I might be fascinated by it now. Or now it's probably an interesting, um, like, snapshot of a time period. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, With their electronic guitar sound. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> right, now this one, this one, um, I, I know very little about this music. Uh, Gabriel Yared did the music for this, and I and this is a uh... scared me. <laughs> I thought I hit a button. Why? Because it stopped. I don't know. Maybe something else on my computer. No, the the guitar oh. was just. It, it might be louder for me since I'm playing yeah. it, but it like startled me when that guitar <laughs> came in. <laughs> now this one's about a lackadaisical handyman and aspiring novelist. That's one person. <laughs> I've learned to see through your. Your summary is IMDb. You try to make it sound like there's more people in these movies. A lackadaisical handyman and aspiring novelist tries to support his younger girlfriend as she slowly succumbs to madness. Oh my god. Um, god. Here, here, you know, he's hammering away. He's yeah. typing away. Meanwhile, um, yeah. What, what Zorg, was the driving mood Zorg, for this one? Zorg, Zorg is the name of the handyman. Zorg? Slash novelist. Zorg. <laughs> Zorg. Oh my god. This um, sounds like a Mad Lib, this particular film. I'm, sorry, I'm also, 
I'm on the Im- the images for Betty Blue, and mm. I also feel as though this woman's boobs are probably a big plot point in this movie based on these photos, which are just a lot of this lady's boobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else are you going to sell this movie with? <laughs> Hammering novels? Black- I mean, yeah, let me give you the... the it, there's some twists and turns in this plot here, okay? So... <laughs> Zorg is a handyman working at. <laughs> this starts to sound like it's a it's a like a lost verse from Subterranean Homesick Blues. Cause like Zorg is a handyman working at the seaside. It's just like um, in France, maintaining and looking after the wooden bungalows. Um, he lives a quiet and peaceful life, working diligently and writing in his spare time. He is in love with Betty, a young woman who is as beautiful as she is wild and unpredictable. Mm. She is beautiful in these pictures. <laughs> After a dispute with Zorg's boss, they leave, and Betty finds a place to stay at her girlfriend's house. The girlfriend's lover owns an Italian restaurant, and there they find a job. She is obsessed to try to get one of Zorg's books published, but it is rejected, which makes Betty fly into a rage. Suddenly, Betty's wild manners start to get out of control. Zorg sees the woman he loves slowly going insane. Is his love for Betty strong enough if even it comes to the worst? I mean, I don't know that love can cure mental, like a mental <laughs> illness. illness. So it I don't does, know. I, I believe you guys mean brain problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does. It, it does. It does. Yeah. It does sound like this movie is brought to you by the male gaze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. just like, it's just like, what is Zor going to do? Yeah. It's like, this, um, you should get her professional help. It sounds like. It sounds like all of her problems are really Zorg's problems. You know what? I think. With the name Zorg and all this insanity, this is clearly written by aliens. It's an yeah. Italian this restaurant does... in France. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. It does. Uh, it does feel to me like you know they do those things. Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to. It, it sounds like one of those things where you have a bot or you have an AI yeah. try to sure. write. Um, yeah. Try to write a thing. I know like Netflix was doing that. Uh, that series where it was like holiday specials uh, written by an AI that are very uh, funny. I need a robot and it really wants an Oscar. Can we shoot yeah. this script? For work, we just did an interview with an AI. I, I didn't watch it. I was too scared. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we are on Dangerous Liaisons. I did like the music for, I, I liked driving around to the music from Betty Blue. I like it a little less now that I know what the movie's about. <laughs> yeah. But, but then this was one of the few movies that I had seen, Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, I saw this. I don't know whether I saw it before I got the soundtrack, but I definitely had seen it during a period where I was driving around with it. This is a title I know, but I haven't seen it, and I'm embarrassed to ask who did this film. Um, who directed it? Yeah. This is St- Stephen Frears, who I believe okay. is Irish. I think um, that's right. I know I've I've seen other Stephen Frears uh, movies. I think he did like the oh what was the movie about those uh, the craze the 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 gangster identical twin gangsters who have had several movies about them. I think uh, Tom Hardy played them in some movie, but I think mm. Stephen Frears did like an early craze movie. Um, also, Cruel Intentions was a remake of Dangerous Liaisons, so I've seen that. I have not seen <laughs> Dangerous Liaisons. Oh. He did the Grifters. Stephen Frears did the Grifters. Maybe oh, okay. he didn't do. Maybe he did My Beautiful Laundrette, which was an early Daniel Day Lewis movie. Did the Grifters? Um, 
I guess he didn't do the craze. I'm, I may have got him mixed up with a different filmmaker. Um, done a ton of stuff. He's done a ton of stuff. I like Dangerous Liaisons. Um, John Malkovich is in it? I did not know oh, that. It's a great Malkovich because he's, he's it's just like mind games and he's like, he's just oh. like... So he's the Sebastian character. Yeah. I literally yeah. only know this in the context of Cruel Intentions. It works. Yeah, he's he's great in this movie. It's it's uh, I highly recommend. And Glenn Close is great in yeah. it. And Keanu Reeves, who I hear is a very nice guy. I just remember there's a line where he was like, "May I help you, Madame?" Where it was all like, <laughs> it, it, everything felt kind of like it was sort of like, "Oh, we're saying lines from the olden times." Yeah. <laughs> Madame, will I kind of like me? that. Yeah. yeah. Well, then this is the movie for you. It has everything. Yeah. Well, and I already know I like the story, so. There you go. <laughs> and this music, um, this is a nice. This is a. Uh, it's nice. Uh, this is. Yeah. This is one of the really seriously up tempo uh, numbers on the on the collection. This was the next one was one of my favorites. This is from the Killing Fields. Uh, and I always just thought this one. This one I found like haunting. I, I thought this one was so. This is one that I know it made me. I rented the movie specifically because uh, I loved this track the most. Um, I might be wrong about this, but with oh, it feels like there's a lot of Asian influence on this uh, collection of soundtracks. Well, yeah. Well, Roland Joffe, who directed The Mission, also directed The Killing Fields. I forgot that um, connection. And, but, yeah, with with Black Rain and The Last Emperor and this, very much so, yeah. And, interestingly, and I had forgotten this because I think this is kind of crazy, that the screenplay for The Killing Fields was written by Bruce Robinson, who, who did With Nail and I. Oh, um, which for some reason I find that fascinating. Those are very different, yeah. And this is another film that has John Malkovich in it, another really good early John Malkovich film. I wonder if there's like some link we could find to the previous film each time, because it does seem like they cascade nicely. Yeah, yeah this almost has a dreamlike quality the way these things link up. Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't feel like you could design it this way <laughs> unless you were like under the influence of something. <laughs> yeah. like, it feels like this is a very like beautiful mind way of putting together a soundtrack was just like, Oh yeah. And then we'll do this and we'll do this. Yeah. We're going to solve the premier magazine kidnapping. Yeah. Just someone with some sort of special, special sense of things was just allowed into like the virgin vault <laughs> and was just like, here are these movies and here are these soundtracks go We're like, okay, this one. And then this one, this one links to this one. Um, yeah. Is this, uh, is this a, like a, slide whistle what am i hearing it's a very interesting sound um yeah i i was always so intrigued by it and this was the one this was the one i remember when i heard it for the first time thinking i'm really glad i bought this because it just felt like oh this is a great theme for like if i made a movie and this was the the theme to it i'd be like yeah we did it <laughs> we did we did a good job making this. <laughs> did you like the movie when you did eventually see it? Yes, I liked it very much. It's uh, 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 Sam Waterston uh, is the main actor in it. It's really good. I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in probably 30 years, you know, but um, I remember really liking it. 
And I think is, uh, um, I think that uh, Spalding Gray is also in it, if I'm oh. remembering correctly. Interesting. Because I think he talks about it in one of his, like, monologue films. Like, I think there's one that specifically, I think he has a movie called, yeah, Swimming, Swimming to Cambodia is the one that I think is oh. about him taking the job. Um, so, I always like when there's stuff like this where it's like, I I like that if you like The Killing Fields, you'd be like, hey, guess what? There's another movie. It's not a sequel. It's like a companion piece. And yeah. I recently, um, uh, somebody who, uh, I won't name drop the person, uh, but it was someone that I'm a, a big fan of, uh, their work. And they reached out to me about Dead Eyes saying that they love Dead Eyes and they had auditioned for Band of Brothers and didn't get it at the time. And they never watched Band of Brothers because of it. And now they're watching Band of Brothers and really liking it. And I was like, I really like the way that my podcast is becoming kind of a companion piece to Band of Brothers. It's mm -hmm. not a it's not a sequel. It's not a completely different <laughs> reality and timeline. But it also does sort of eventually loop back around to the reality that Band of Brothers is based in. So it kind yeah. of... And I'd like that. I can't think of a lot of examples of that. But I like when there are works of art that have like... Um, I feel like that happens with some Terry Gilliam movies where they'll be like, the movie itself oh, sure. is actually less good than the documentary about how hard it was to make the movie. Yeah. Right. There was, I remember there was a movie, there was a documentary about the making of 12 Monkeys called, I think it was called like The Hamster Factory or The Hamster Problem or something. And it was all just about how much trouble they were having making the movie. And I was like, I'm actually more into this, nothing against 12 Monkeys, but I was like, I'm actually more into watching like somebody like struggling. I never saw that La Mancha movie, but I loved watching the movie where he was like, I can't make this movie. I'm like, yeah, this is yeah. more relatable to me, someone who can't make a movie. The La Mancha one is good. I'll recommend that. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I actually watched Apocalypse Now so I could watch the documentary <laughs> about the making of it. That, of course, that I can't believe I forgot. That. that is the best example of something where it's like, I like Apocalypse Now. I love Hearts of Darkness. So I'm like, good. Hearts of Darkness is the reason that Apocalypse Now exists in my book. It's like, yep, just so that this great documentary can be made. Well, now we're listening to A Call to Arms from Glory, which is probably the maybe the most popular. It's the one I thought of as the most popularly, like, I knew the most people had seen it. Um, like I didn't know anybody who necessarily that I knew had seen, I guess Dangerous Liaison is probably more popular, but mm. I, I, so I've glory just felt like a movie that's like, this is a big movie that everybody knows. You mention it to everybody and everybody's like, at least at the time. Yeah. Um, and this is Edward Zwick, co-creator of 30 something who directed this movie. And the music is by James Horner, who, uh, is done, did the music for Titanic and Avatar and I think also a bunch of Star Trek things. Mm. Uh, yep. Uh, I think he did the big Next Generation theme, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I, ha I think I had a CD. This was one. This is a CD I could have brought on, but I, uh, I hope that you're grateful, Heather, that I did not bring on <laughs> the CD that was. I was thinking it was like Star Trek: The Celestial Symphony or something. And it was just Star Trek I, themes. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I was trying to be considerate. Um, you know, that's a great soundtrack. Um, we'll have you back. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, but that was like a, the, the, the celestial, I, now it's making me realize like another thing that I had that I almost uh, brought on was the first CD that I owned, which was by Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, mm. um, which is a banjo based, um, huh. uh, and I think it was a self-titled album. 
And I remember specifically, it was the f when I got a CD player, I think for Christmas, this was the CD I'd asked for, and it was the first one I played. I remember marveling at it. Like, you just put it in, and you close the, it was a front loader. It was one of those front loader ones that you kind of like um, slide the CD down into and then close it up. Yep. Yes. And yep. just watch it spin around. I remember being more frightened of the ones that just sort of sucks in the DVD. Way scarier. I, my least favorite ones to this day, if you had to pick one, are the side of an iMac where it's just, oh. there's that little, like, it was like tiny little hairs. That yeah. you, it, it felt like they were creating a weird, like Cronenberg-esque human-machine hybrid where like this is meant to resemble like a human orifice that just right. sucks yeah. in. You're sliding little... this into a closed eye. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just really... And then if you got a CD jammed in one of those, you sort of had to just sort of, like, perform this insane surgery on it. Yeah. Um, Nightmare. Yeah. yeah, at least the trays, you could pop it out with a with a paper clip. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. True. That felt like a spaceship manual override. There was something kind of fun about open oh, the yeah. CD tray with the power off. Oh, yeah. And now I believe we are at Les Modernes. We are. From the movie The Moderns, which I have not seen, and I know less than nothing about. <laughs> but I always liked the vibe of it. This always felt like, yep, this is how we're closing it out. I'm intrigued by the combination of French and American, uh, or American, English uh, moderns in this. Yeah. Alan Rudolph was the director of The Moderns. That's a cool cover. And and I feel like he was friends with, why would I know this? I feel <laughs> like he was friends with Robert Altman. We could rename the show, Why Do I Know This? And yeah. yeah. I feel like he was someone who like, Robert Altman would produce his movies. Uh, and, uh, and it always felt, this may be completely unfair, it always felt weirdly to me like they were movies that it's like, he, I know he did the movie of Breakfast of Champions, which I haven't seen, but looks like an insane movie. It's the Bruce Willis and Nick Nolte version of oh, the, yeah. uh, I assume very hard to adapt uh, Kurt Vonnegut book. Yeah. Um, but I always had this weird sense of like, oh, his movies are able to be made because Robert Altman helps him. Um, he get Breakfast stuff made. of Champions him. Yeah. Um, this movie starred Keith Car Carradine, Linda Fior Fiorentino, and Wallace Shawn. And I don't know why I wouldn't have seen it. Geraldine Chaplin is in it. Hmm. This feels like a movie I should see. Like, a struggling artist is hired to forge paintings, causing him to cross paths with his ex-wife and her powerful new husband. That does sound good. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. You're forging, you're, you're forging these paintings. These paintings Whoa. are forged. Oh, wait, so Wallace Shawn is the powerful husband? Yes, I'm, yeah, I assume Keith Carradine is the forger of the paintings. That makes sense. And their powerful new husband is like, yes, I'm very excited to meet this new husband of yours and see these very real paintings. I was picturing, when I heard powerful, I was just picturing a very strong husband for some reason. No, my power is in my money. Yes. Do you guys want to know a really, um, funny but gross Wallace Shawn story. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my friends who will not be named and I went on vacation and Oh no. To is, this a, 
Is this a horrible story? No, no, no. Okay. No, he's he didn't do anything. He was just okay. present. Okay. So good. no, I would I would not try to cancel Wallace Shawn. I love him. Um, I mean, I mean, if he needs to be, then we'll do it. Absolutely. But this is not. But this is not that story. I would have needed thirty seconds to just like let me Prepare. deal with it. Now I will land. I will. I promise you, I will land on the right side of the story. But I need thirty <laughs> seconds no. to to cycle through it. No, to no. Say goodbye. My friend and I went to Mexico, uh, and she got very sick from water, whatever, something she ate. We came back to New York. She was still not feeling well, but whatever, like living her life. She's going to her therapist who, uh, for some reason, Wall and Sean is in the same building. And she shit her pants in the elevator with Wall and Sean. <laughs> wow. And I, it's all I can think about now when I hear about Wall and Sean. Wow. Did he have any reaction? None. <laughs> oh. But she was like, um, she was so sick. Like, you, yeah. 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 Yep. What do you do? Oh man. Incontinent. In <laughs> <laughs> um, I had one interaction with Wallace Shawn, which was when I worked at Barnes and Noble Union Square. He came into the store. I remember one time uh, a woman came into the store and she was looking for a book, and then she was looking for a copy of a Wallace Shawn play, mm. and it was she said it was for some reading that was happening. And I, while we were walking to the shelf, I made a point of saying like, oh yeah, I always make sure, I love his writing, I make sure we have everything we can get in print. I was like enthusing about it. And then she's like, oh, she's like, Wallace Shawn is my partner. And oh. I said, and I said, you're Deborah Eisenberg? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I always make sure we have your books too. And it was like one of those things where I was like, I felt good enthusing because she was so nice, but I just thought she was just a normal person that yeah. I was like, pushing Wallace Shawn, like, oh yeah, I'm like validating your choice, it's great. But then I was also like, yeah, we have like your book of short stories over here. And and then my other interaction was Wallace Shawn came into the store and I was talking to a friend of mine and he comes up to the information desk and he was looking for a particular book that was in like the Eastern religion section. And he's like, I can't find this book. I'm trying to find that. I, I, I've been looking everywhere, I can't find it. And I looked it up and I walked over and I found it immediately. It wasn't in the right place, but I saw where it was and I pulled it out. And he goes, "You found it! That's unbelievable!" <laughs> and I and I glanced over at my friend. I, like, I didn't have a big reaction. I just did with my eyes. I just darted over to look uh -huh. at him. And my friend was just like his jaw dropped. He's yeah. like, "You almost got him to say it. Like you got him to say a word with the same inflection. He didn't say inconceivable, but he said unbelievable using the same notes." It's beautiful. And, that's and I was like, awesome. "That's that's all that I wanted." It's yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah. <laughs> And so we've reached, and and I, I, you know, I I'm curious to know what your reaction is to that because I'm having all these like sentimental attachments to this. Um, what do you each think of what we've heard? I mean, I think it's nice. <laughs> I don't have a, a strong reaction to it overall. I would say because I don't. You know, also the first time we just listened to it is us talking over it as well. Sure. I think I do understand though where you're coming from because also that like we we talk about this a lot on the show because we listen to music, you know, from our youth. So like that time you spend when you're like 16 driving in a car listening to music and like to your point, literally feeling like you're in a movie. This is literally a music soundtrack or a movie soundtrack, you know. Yeah. So I feel like I totally get that mentality and understand like how and why you would feel that way listening to this soundtrack driving around in the midwest <laughs> yeah yeah i as i was listening to this i uh i i'm somebody who also drove around listening to a ton of soundtracks but i think the big difference is i would i would 
love listening to the ones that I was super familiar mm. with. So I bought like a, I couldn't find Raiders anywhere and had to get it on eBay from Japan as like a weird import. Yeah. Uh, and so like driving around to, to the Raiders March was super fun or even just the, uh, uh, finding the the sunbeam hitting at just the right point, and like if that would line up with something, like as I'm pulling into my parking spot, oh, that's yeah. so good. <laughs> but um, this is a different thing of just like all these different. I still, uh, you have a higher score on how many movies you've seen, uh, in terms of that. Where like this would be, uh, just sort of removing all of the context from that and sort of you're kind of creating the narrative. Yeah. It's really yeah. exciting. I was, yeah, it, that's the thing. If I was, if I was going around listening to, you know, like Star Wars soundtrack or something, it would just remind me of the scenes in the movie that I was familiar right. with. Whereas in this, it was sort of, I was just using this to score my either walking around with a Walkman or driving around with a tape player in a yeah. car and not having, not, having seen most of the things it would my mem- my associations with most of these are of certain streets of certain like routes that i would drive with frequency like yep. i will think of those and then they'll be sort of off to the side like the poster for black rain will be mm-hmm. in the mix because i'd have an awareness oh this is the <laughs> yeah. one for black rain i know what the post i know what like the video box looks like at the video rental store um, but those are like that's a picture on the wall of the memory that is mostly my experience. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, are you still into like m- more modern soundtracks? Yeah. Sometimes, uh, it, like with anything, it's hard because um, the, in addition to the thing that naturally happens as you get older, which is that. You don't want to abandon the stuff you already like, so it's harder to make room Absolutely. For, for new stuff. So, but also I see the way that is a a form of death because and it might be a quite pleasant form of it, but it is like <laughs> it always bums me out when you have people who never listen to music past a certain point. Yeah. yeah. Past a, a certain date because it's exciting to listen to new things that also, you know, other people are hearing for the first time. And in some cases, like, I almost, under quarantine, I've sort of, like, I have a lot of records, and I have a, an old record player that belonged to my great Aunt Arlie that I play records on. And I sort of made a point of, like, I got Paul McCartney's new record, the one that he did all by himself under quarantine, um, uh, McCartney 3. And I kind of keep, have been keeping it on the record player for the past month or so. And not putting other, I'll kind of do this sometimes where that's just, I'm, I'll listen to a lot of stuff on streaming, but mm-hmm. if I'm going to play a record, I'll sort of keep one on rotation for a while because I want to get to know it. And because I feel like that's that when you get a record, when you're young, you listen to it all the yeah. time and it builds yeah. these connections. And when you get older, you listen to a record once or twice and you're like, oh, I liked it or whatever. And then you move on to another thing yeah, and forget about it. <laughs> And, and so I'm kind of trying to force myself to – there's now songs on that record that I feel like I've listened to them so repeatedly that I'm starting to get build those same sort of connections that I – because so much of what I like about this record isn't that it's so great, even though the as movie scoring, obviously, these are like people at the top of their field. And yeah. it's, all, it's, all, it's all like excellent movie scoring. But in terms of how I feel about it, it's more the – the familiarity that I have with it is what, and that, and that's the case with a lot of really good music that like something I'll try to do sometimes is listen to 
I grew up with a lot of oldies stations because mm-hmm. it was the one thing we, the whole family could agree on that we all thought this was good. My dad, my mom liked it and I liked it. My sister liked it. And we, but you just, you'd hear songs so often that as an adult, it's hard not to just hear them as like, oh, I've heard this a million times. And sometimes yeah. I'll force myself to listen to a song and be like, just really listen to like, what are they saying? What does it sound like? And like, listen to how good it actually is. Because there's some... Like old, like Stevie Wonder songs or uh, uh, Beatles songs or things where you like just sit and really listen to it like it's new and you'd be like, oh, this song is great. But it's you've heard like Sign Seal delivered so many times that it's almost just like noise. Yeah. I, um, this is a very specific example, but I feel like I recently had that with uh, the waitresses Christmas wrapping. A, I love Christmas music, but I was listening to just like a Christmas playlist around around Christmas time. Not I'm not like a <laughs> psychopath, and I okay. like had headphones on and I was listening to that song and I was just like, this song is amazing. And now it's like my favorite Christmas song. I love it. But I had yeah. like to your point, it was just like an old Christmas song that I'd heard a million times. I'd never like paid attention to what the lyrics were. It just sounded like a thing. And now I'm like, oh, this is like a a real Christmas vibe as an adult. And I really like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it's familiarity is such a double-edged sword with Mm -hmm. music because there is a level at which it ruins stuff. And there's a a level at which it lifts stuff up that otherwise you wouldn't like as much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very true. Because that really is like when, when like Aretha Franklin died, uh, and a lot of her music was getting played, and you realize, like, there's certain songs that it's like you've heard respect so many times yeah. that it's like it's hard to actually, you have to work, I think, to listen to it and realize how great it is. Yeah. Because you've just seen it in, a, I feel like, in a million different, like, Bridget Jones Diary and all these versions. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's been so everywhere that it's hard to just imagine, like, ima- pretend you've never heard it and just listen to it yeah. and listen to what she's singing. And the mood of it. And then if you try to treat it like as new, you're like, oh, this is actually much more exciting. But you kind of, it's almost like you have to tense up all your muscles in right. order to like, um, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know how long it's been since I've listened to this. Um, and weirdly, I don't know if I would, like I have, as I, I said, I have it on a YouTube, right. like private upload playlist. So it's there if I need it. But I, I think if I was walking around Queens, you know, during pandemic, as pandemic continues, I don't know that I would be in the mood to put this on necessarily. And I might be more inclined to look for something similar hmm. on like a, some like I'd look up like Spotify movie music playlists yeah. and hit shuffle as a way of like discovering new things. Because I definitely like I don't want to hear that sex, lies and videotape <laughs> music <laughs> out, sure. outside outside of a rewatching of the movie again at yeah. some point, you know. Um, and but I, I would to like say, to, yeah. Oh, uh, this, this compilation, if I had to pick like an average emotion to it, it might be a little more on the melancholy side. Uh, yeah. Maybe Le, Le Moldarn was a little peppier, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause even like the upbeat dangerously liaisons one is not a feel good song. It's very right. kind of like, <laughs> it's very kind of like. Uh, it feels like betrayal or something. It feels right. like uh, a negative emotion somehow. Yeah. No matter um, what, not good quarantine sound. <laughs> yeah, it's not a highly not recommended uh, if you're having trouble with the quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's fair. Connor, I'm going to put you on the spot for one quick second with a question. Sure. Um, because Dead Eyes uh, yeah. is your podcast here. Which Tom Hanks movie has the best soundtrack? Oh. 
I mean, the immediate one that pops out is that thing you do because. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know yeah. if that's just me leading with the single. Um, let me let me look and see. I mean, obviously, if if I was just if someone was like, you can, because I think like the desert island question, right? Uh, like, if I could only have one, um, soundtrack. If we'll, we'll pretend it's Castaway and I get one, uh, <laughs> yeah, one soundtrack on the island. Um, it might be like my initial, like not looking. My initial would be like, oh, it's probably like Forrest Gump, right? Just because Forrest Gump goes through oh. all these like, like, um, you get a big, variety, big pop songs. True. Like it's a big, um, yeah, you got like Blown in the Wind, Land of One Thousand Dances, um, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch, Respect is on there. there you uh, go. Um, yeah, you got Sloop John P. You got All Along the Watchtower. You're sort of, you're going Those through. Those are good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a hard one to beat. It's going to be a hard, hard <laughs> soundtrack. I don't know that like Splash has anything competitive. They have what? Wooly Bully. Watch it now. Watch it. Hanks himself sings Zippity Doodah in that movie. I don't know that that counts. <laughs> um, I don't count it. But I also don't know that. Yeah. Let me look and see. I mean, the best song associated with any Tom Hanks movie is that thing you do, I think, in, just in yeah. terms of the Tom Hanksness of it. The Toy Story, I, you know, if I was on a desert island, mm. the last thing I would want is the Toy Story 2 soundtrack. <laughs> unless too much. Oh, God. Uh, it's just like... Yeah. It almost is like the scene where he looks up on the hill and sees, like, we don't go up there anymore, where he had, like, tried to hang himself or something. It's almost be like, that's where the soundtrack to Toy Story 2 is. Um, um. <laughs> let me look through here. I don't think Sully has any good songs. Um, Captain <laughs> Phillips? Oh, if you want the Mary Poppins songs, they're probably scattered throughout Saving Mr. Banks. Um, yeah, what mm. songs are on Captain Phillips? Oh, are they yeah. playing some songs out on the water? <laughs> um, I have no idea. I remember really liking the score to Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say, I, I, bear, I bear the right to change this in a few seconds, but I'm going to say <laughs> I'm pretty confident it has to be Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm scrolling through his IMDb now as well. I don't know how you could beat that. Philadelphia has obviously the song by Bruce Springsteen and the sure. Neil Young City of Brotherly Love, but I don't want that <laughs> on the, I don't want that on the island either. No. What no. a bummer. Um, what is the League of Their Own soundtrack like? Is that oh, like, that's a great oh, question. Like, like, big band. Because that's my that's my like favorite Tom Hanks performance is a League of Their Own. That's uh, probably my in a pinch. That'd be my. Um, it's uh, oh. you got Carol King, James Taylor. Um, oh wow! I wasn't expecting that. the song. Yeah, I still I still personally think the Forrest Gump one is a little better than this soundtrack, but this is a good one too. Yeah, but it also like. I'm, I am saying that a lot of these have, like, this used to be my playground is one of the more depressing Madonna songs. Facts. That, mm. And I'm also, just on the desert island, I don't want this used to be my playground in any yep. sort no, of situation. No, bad for your island. Keep that off of there. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Forrest Gump. It's a solid um, choice. Yeah. Yeah. Come at me if there's something <laughs> better than that. Um, but... Yeah, and it's also, it's like the movie where they shelled out the most. Of course. Right. Like, it was important to them. One of the things about that movie is we're going to, like, score this, like, 30-year period of a 20, 20th century history. And they got the results. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Thank you. Thank you for entertaining that on the spot. <laughs> it was fun. It's, it's a fun thing to think about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel bad because I love that thing you do. And I think that's that song is really... Uh, 
remarkable and fun. Yeah. But I also think I would get tired of it if it was the only one I could have. Yeah, you're getting the most bang for your buck with the Forrest Gump soundtrack, I we, think. We started yeah, a, lot of di- a lot of speed. different moods. And yeah. and second place, probably League of Their Own, because I think League of Their Own is that for like World War II era music. Makes sense. Right. Makes sense. But if I if I was if I was stranded on the island and it was <laughs> just me and my dad, maybe I would go League of Their Own. I'd be like, yeah, I'll, this is, he doesn't want to hear this era of Bob Dylan as much as he wants to hear. <laughs> I know his like serious radio selections. He always will veer toward like the forties or the fifties, and always of, like try to. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was oh, such yes. a such so a. Fun. We don't usually go talk about movies very much so this was a fun diversion for us <laughs> yeah that was also my hope because i i had a feeling that i was going to be veering this uh yeah. towards ramsey's side of things <laughs> and so i thought this is more Thank fun you. than talk than if i as much as i would have liked to bring on the star trek or the bella fleck um it would not have had as much common ground i think maybe and That's less fair. to talk about uh yeah no it's funny uh yeah i feel like you're in ramsey's taste are very very similar, and I'm a person who watched the movie Moxie this morning and gave myself a new tattoo because I was bored. So we're oh wow com- coming from different places. Yeah, although, uh, but I loved although, it. <laughs> would, it, would it surprise you if I told you that was how I spent my morning as well? I would love it if that was yeah, also how I you wish spent I your could, morning. I, I wish I could say that. That would be such a great coincidence. I watched Moxie and gave myself a new tattoo. It's fair. Yeah, I did. Then I did it, go it read was... reviews, and people were very salty about it. But I was like. Okay, all these writers are not teen girls, which is who this movie is for. But anyways, right. I Connor digress. lifts his sleeve to reveal yeah. that movie's logo yeah, from the premiere yeah. magazine. Yeah, including the, the little like Netflix uh, branding <laughs> at the bottom. It's just the full <laughs> ad for Moxie. Amazing. Uh, well, Connor, where can people find you if they're looking for you? <laughs> if they're looking for me, uh, it's at Connor Ratliff on Twitter. If you spell it right, you're there. And... Um, and my podcast is Dead Eyes, and every Sunday on PlanetScum.live, I do the George Lucas Talk Show, which is a um, is a weekly show. It used to be a live stage show that we do once a month. Now we do it for over four hours every week. <laughs> um, I pretend to be George Lucas. Griffin Newman from The Tick plays my talk show sidekick, Watto, and our producer, Patrick Cotnar, kind of wrangles it all together. And we have guests, uh, you know, from Whoopi Goldberg to Darcy Carden and Jason Manzukis and people like that. And Amazing. it's pretty, pretty uh, crazy time. Last week, uh, uh, Rachel Zegler, who is from the upcoming West Side Story, was on the show, and uh, she and her IMDb now is uh, West Side Story, <laughs> the uh, uh, the Shazam movie that's coming out, mm-hmm. and George Lucas talk show. So we're Beautiful. very thrilled right now to be a third of her IMDb. And she was, <laughs> she was it, It's just people come on and lose their minds and have fun. It's awesome. Uh, Ramsey, how about you? You can find me at Ramsey ESS on Twitter. Uh, and I'll give a quick plug to my Shakespeare is Broken video game. Yeah. It's uh, the only text adventure uh, video game about Shakespeare written by me. Heather, how about you? You can find me at Heather Shea, S-H-A-E. You can find our podcast at ifyourelistening.com. Uh, by this, by the time this episode comes out, also check out our Patreon. We're doing bonus episodes over there. Um, stickers. Stickers. You can have Ramsey write you a fix a song for you <laughs> if you're rich and want that yeah, for if, some reason. if you're rich <laughs> if you're rich um but yeah leave us a review on itunes and and all of that i think i got everything i think you did <laughs> amazing all right thanks Thank you, everyone Connor. bye Thank you. bye, bye.